0: Hey there, my name's Michael Laminato and this is Practice Day at the 2023 Abu Dhabi Grand Prix on Pit Pass F1. Pit Pass F1 is brought to you by Evergreen Podcasts and on today's episode, though I said it was Practice Day, relatively little practice was actually undertaken, at least by most full-time drivers. After 10 full timers sat out FP1 to give time to rookie and inexperienced drivers, FP2 was then interrupted by two red flag periods that wiped out more than half of the session, which boiled down effectively to a late 16 minute burst of track action. It sets us up for an interesting weekend with teams lacking data and a close battle forecast at the front. So to talk us through the interrupted day and the latest chapter in the Christian Horner Lewis Hamilton War of Words, let's hear now from your host, Chris Medlin.
1: Okay, everybody, welcome to today's episode of Pit Pass F1. Uh, Chris Medlin back with you again to go through Friday at the Abu Dhabi Grand Prix. And it was an interesting day because we still had the stories from yesterday that were bubbling away. So anyone who listened to yesterday's episode will have heard some talk about Lewis Hamilton and Christian Horner having a bit of a disagreement in terms of opinion uh, of who may have contacted who uh, when Horner claims that Hamilton had wanted to drive for Red Bull or at least shown an interest in driving for Red Bull. Uh, Now, the question was put to him. Uh, that Lewis Hamilton had denied that anyone from his team had reached out uh, and that Hamilton had checked with his whole team to make sure that nobody had reached out to Red Bull and Christian Horner uh, and that therefore the claim was false. Uh, And Horner was saying that it was remarkable how much traction that the story had got, which was a bit disingenuous uh, because he spoke directly to a newspaper that was always going to cover it and cover it heavily. uh, And he must be making a point by saying it. Uh, As Hamilton said, his name tends to go far when he's mentioned in certain stories. Uh, And yeah, it was definitely going to have reach. So uh, I don't think Horner for a second was surprised that it had become a big story. Um, But it's it's the Daily Mail in the UK that had run it. And he he said, thank you uh, to the Daily Mail for going exclusively large on this item. But uh, that was always going to happen. And uh, Horner just described it as a case of he said, she said. Uh, And then that it wasn't just about the driver or the driver's representatives he said it's entirely normal for drivers drivers representatives drivers parents to have different conversations so he was then hinting at it being Anthony Hamilton who he'd spoken to and then further down in the same answer he just came straight out with it saying there was never a seat available but you know I've known Anthony Hamilton for many years he's a good guy he's a proud racing father and inevitably when drivers go through tough spots and you know to be fair he was saying that hamilton hasn't won a grand prix for two years he said it's inevitable that questions will be asked up and down the paddock so confirming everything that was kind of rumored in the article because it was horned giving the interview in the first place in that article that it was anthony hamilton who he'd spoken to uh, and had either reached out to him or maybe he'd spoken to anthony himself originally but uh Anthony doesn't represent Lewis in terms of he's not his manager, he's not his agent. He is his father and they have a close relationship now. But it's been up and down at times since Anthony used to be Hamilton's manager when he first came into Formula One. So uh, that was kind of the response from Christian Horner that tried to, in a sense, defuse the situation. That's what he was hoping to do. I don't think he really fully did. It did completely dampen how strong the claims really could be because uh, the fact it wasn't a direct representative from Hamilton's team backed up everything Hamilton had said uh, where he said nobody had been in touch and that he checked with his team uh, but it also kind of did turn it into a well in in a bit of a chat with someone's father they kind of say oh well what's the situation with your car for next year that doesn't really count I would say as a full approach to Red Bull that Hamilton wants to drive for them if Anthony Hamilton asked that question but uh, it was the follow up and it, it was strange to see Horner almost a bit flustered certainly on the defensive he rarely is he's normally very considered and calculated with what he's saying and how he's saying it uh, and he's normally quite sharp with it as well, whether he feels he's right or wrong. Um, even if he's on the back foot a bit, he's normally quite bolshy, but there was none of that today. It was um, a little bit sheepish almost, so uh, I think he's found that uh, he maybe was in the wrong with the claims he'd made, or that they weren't quite so strong, and it was wrong... For him to allow it to become a big story by talking about it publicly uh, and realistically I think it's probably going to be the end of the matter in terms of links or seriousness of any interest between Hamilton and Red Bull uh, although it might not be the end of the situation in terms of how the relationship between Hamilton and Red Bull and Mercedes and Red Bull goes because there were some comments as well from Toto Wolf in an interview that he did on Thursday saying he just doesn't understand why Horner says these things and needs to say these things and comes out with them and goes chasing headlines when he's just had the record-breaking season he's had Uh, and instead he's deflecting it onto something odd and looking to unsettle Hamilton rather than focusing on his own team and its success. Uh, there was a, a bit of a question about Horner's character as well because of some comments on the UK game show where uh, he said that Mercedes got it wrong in Abu Dhabi 21 with their strategy. So um, Toto Wolf was not particularly happy about that either. So I think it's still frosty between the team bosses, um, but it's probably the end of the, the Hamilton and Horner back and forth. Now, moving on to the track action itself today, which may have been where you wanted me to start today's episode, but I felt like we could uh, close off the previous topic. Uh, on track was an interesting one because FP1 was full of rookie drivers, so very hard to get a read on that one. Uh, and I'll get stuck into how they did a bit later on. But FP2 was when we were going to get uh, a picture of how things were shaping up this weekend. And there was just a feeling coming into this weekend, and we still got a long way to go, but that maybe Red Bull wouldn't be clearing away out front again. Uh, Quite often we've seen it where the likes of Ferrari or maybe Mercedes or maybe even McLaren, even Aston Martin at certain times have been really nipping at their heels Uh, and it felt like this could be a race where that happened with one team. And Ferrari emerged as that team early on. Uh, Charles Leclerc setting the pace in FP2 but only just edging out Lando Norris. It was very close between the two of them at the top of the timings. Leclerc just 0.043 seconds clear of Norris in first and second place. And then you had to go back uh, nearly two-tenths of a second to find Max Verstappen in third. He'd not had the cleanest session, uh, but then nobody had a lot of clean running. Uh, And it's quite interesting to see Valtteri Bottas up in fourth for Alfa Romeo ahead of Sergio Perez. Uh, Just three-tenths separating the top six with George Russell in sixth. But there wasn't that much representative running because of the fact that Carlos Sainz had a heavy crash. Uh, Sainz went off at turn three or the entry to turn three early in the session. The car seemed to bottom out as he was approaching turn three. There's a couple of bumps there and he hit one of the bumps that seemed to unsettle the car. And then it just swapped Dens really quickly. If you think back to Lando Norris and his crash in Las Vegas, with that one it looked like a bump as well that played a part, but Norris kind of had a bit of a wiggle and overcorrected and then spun. In this one it was straight round for Science, complete 360, and then sideways into the barrier at high speed. Uh, he was able to jump out uh, unaided, he was fine was checked over in the medical center and was straight back uh, into the garage with Ferrari to look at the data. Uh, But the car was heavily damaged all down the left-hand side, and the barrier was heavily damaged too. So there was a long pause. We lost over a third of the session cleaning that up and getting the barrier fixed before we could get going again. That was then followed by Nico Hülkenberg spinning out of turn one just losing the rear on the exit of the corner spinning to the inside uh, and hitting the barrier backwards and he damaged the rear end of the car so couldn't go any further again a red flag that was just 150 seconds after we'd restarted so more than half the session got lost uh, to red flags so drivers didn't get good long runs they didn't get into much of a rhythm so it did make for some interesting uh, finishing positions and like i said valtteri bottas up there in the top four But going back to Sainz and his crash, that's two races in a row now. He's had big, expensive crashes. Obviously, the Las Vegas one, nothing to do with him, not his fault at all, but costly for Ferrari, and they're going to look into getting some sort of compensation for that because it was the loose water valve cover in Las Vegas that caused all the damage to his car, and whether it's from Formula 1 that they get the uh, compensation they want, whether it's from the... Track itself, or the race organisers in Las Vegas, whether it's from the construction company that was meant to ensure the track was completely safe. In that sense, I'm not too sure at this stage. But Ferrari are looking into that. Uh, there was a spell actually when Haas did something similar years ago after a similar incident in Malaysia with a drain cover. So those are things that teams used to chase anyway because it's expensive and not their fault. But when it's in the cost cap era, they really need to find uh, a way of trying to recoup that money because otherwise they're going to get penalised, especially when Science then has a big crash like this one he will look to bounce back tomorrow because Ferrari do look quick uh, Leclerc was quick out of the box and has been fast for a while now pole position in three of the last four races uh, it would not be a surprise to see another Ferrari pole on Saturday whether they've got the race pace is another matter we haven't had a clear read of Red Bull's standing but generally Red Bull tends to be comfortably quicker in race pace and it doesn't matter if they're out qualified but Uh, Yeah, Red Bull looking to complete the season with just one defeat. Uh, And they look like they could have a fight on their hands. Now, another reason, though, it might look like Red Bull are under a bit of pressure and have, as I say, a bit of a fight on their hands this weekend. And I will delve into that more after tomorrow's qualifying session just to see how things are shaping up. But it's also because they didn't run either of Max Verstappen or Sergio Perez in FP1, where the session, as I said earlier, full of rookies. Uh, Teams are mandated that they have to do two FP1 sessions where they run a rookie. And a rookie driver is anyone who hasn't started two Grand Prix or more. So each team is meant to let one driver of their race drivers step aside once per season so each car once uh, has a replacement driver who's a rookie take part Uh, and Red Bull hadn't done it at all coming into Abu Dhabi maybe they'd seen that it was going to play out that way from early on and that they might wrap up the championships and that they could afford to do this because FP1 is also not all that representative compared to the race the race takes place at sunset finishes after dark much cooler temperatures FP1 and FP3 take place uh, in the heat of the day so They don't get the most representative data, so it's maybe a good time to do other test items. And therefore, it was Jake Dennis and Isaac Hadjar that Red Bull both ran in their two cars. Now, Hadjar has run for Alpha Tauri in Mexico, but that was the first outing for Jake Dennis in an FP session. uh, And both did very solid jobs. In fact, every FP1 driver did a really, really impressive job. It was 1.5 seconds covered the whole field, just eight tenths covered a number of them four of them in fact Uh, Felipe Djokovic in the Aston Martin was second fastest in FP1 behind George Russell Uh, then you had Robert Schwartzman Fred Vesti and Jack Doohan Uh, that's Ferrari Mercedes and Alpine respectively who were the other three that were within 0.8 seconds of the fastest time so really good solid outing for them but nobody made any major mistakes. In fact, they all avoided certain incidents when race drivers were dawdling. Uh, Dewan had to avoid Logan Sargent, who was told very late that he was approaching him at the final corner. Sargent went to get out of the way just as Dewan had gone to the inside. So good reactions from Dewan. And Sargent was given a warning, but actually his team got fined because it was a team that should have told him of the approaching car. And then something similar for Hadjar actually with Lance Stroll just dawdling on the racing line heading into the chicane uh, at the end of the long back straight and in that situation uh, Stroll got away with it but his team were given a fine for not informing him of Fred Vesty approaching at another point uh, during the session so we had a few incidents there where uh, the FP1 rookies had to kind of react to Uh, the more experienced drivers not quite doing what they should Uh, but as I said one and a half seconds covered the whole field Teo Porsche at Alfa Romeo Pato Award at McLaren also involved and Zacco Sullivan on his first outing for Williams did a very solid job Uh, so good work from all of them but perhaps it was Ollie Behrman who was the most impressive again it was his second outing you may remember he drove in Mexico in FP1 and was very close to Nico Hülkenberg's pace on the same tyre He had a bit of a moment uh, on his fastest lap, so he could have been even closer. Uh, But he'd put together a really impressive stint that the team were highly, highly impressed with. Well, he was just a tenth of a second off Kevin Magnussen today. So another strong outing. Uh, And if I had to put money on it, I think we'll see Behrman become a reserve driver for Haas next year while he tackles F2 again. He's part of the Ferrari Young Driver Academy, and I think they'd enjoy him getting that experience. So I can see that this situation has actually helped him cement that position. Attention tomorrow, though, turns back to the race drivers and them setting the grid for the race. So I'll be back after qualifying to let you know how it's all gone and see if there's any more salacious rumours that go around the paddock from the team bosses and co uh, as we head towards the
0: end of the season. Thanks very much to Chris, who's in the Abu Dhabi paddock this weekend, bringing us the latest from Yasperita. Make sure you don't miss an update from the Abu Dhabi Grand Prix by subscribing to Pit Pass F1 wherever you get your favourite podcasts. And you can visit us at pitpassmotorsports.com. While you're there, check out the Pit Pass Motorsports blog, powered by Podium Life, featuring racing articles and motorsport industry news. You can also keep up to date with goings-on between episodes by following Chris on social media. Just check the links in the show description. My name's Michael Laminato. Pit Pass F1 is an evergreen podcast.
1: That's ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. BGW report Void We're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions 18 plus.